Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast. Today, I have a dear friend with me, Kate Bandman. I have known Kate for a little while now. We have had some similar journeys, some different journeys, and there was something Kate shared very recently on social media that called me to ask her to be on the show, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But for now, I would just like to introduce you to Kate. She is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist. Kate provides online therapy for people wanting to live their lives with more ease by taking active roles in their well-being and addressing issues caused by anxiety, trauma, and limiting beliefs. Kate, thank you for being here. We're actually recording this on a Saturday morning, so I appreciate you taking time out of your weekend to have some conversation with me. And a lot of people listening to this might not know you, my Canadian friends, so introduce yourself to everyone. Thanks, Amber. I'm happy to be here. It's a nice way to spend my Saturday. And I am in Canada, so uh, I'm a therapist in Canada. I see all of my clients online. I've been in private practice for about two years now. And prior to that, I've worked in different residential treatment centers. And I've been working in the field of mental health and as a counselor for, I would say, nearly a decade, over a decade, actually, at this point. And I think like many, the areas that I focused on have evolved and changed over time. So I began working primarily with people with PTSD, um, substance use issues, process addictions. And then now I've moved more into focusing largely on anxiety. Um, I still work with a lot of trauma, but people who are needing like less acute care, people who are able to receive online therapy. Um, and I feel like I found a space where I am most effective. And also it uh, feels very aligned for me. It allows me to really thrive in my personal life, which of course, and I think gets reciprocated back into the work that I do. Yeah. yeah. And I'm always very curious when I talk to uh, fellow therapists about how you felt the calling to go into that profession and what training you sought out to be able to serve in this way. Yeah. This is a question that I used to not love being asked because I didn't know how to answer it. Um, oh, okay. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I never had a, in the beginning, I didn't know what the call was, why I ended up doing it. I didn't really know what therapy was. I didn't know what counseling was. I'd never received therapy or counseling when I went into it. Um, so now I love answering that question because I say that it was like, a divine intervention. Like I just mm. was placed in the right place at the right time. I didn't even know why or what it was going to offer me. Um, I made the decision based on, I guess, what I felt was available and most, mostly prioritizing my values. So I knew I wanted to pursue something where I could help people and like be of service in that way. Um, but I actually didn't know at all what therapy and counseling looked like. Um, <laughs> 
And so I pursued my undergraduate degree in addictions counseling, and then I did a master's degree uh, in education in counseling psychology. And the programs that I did were very unique in that a large portion of our training was internships. So we were actually practicing as therapists from, you know, our first and second year. And then we did a lot of labs with one another. So we actually practiced and offered therapy to one another, both individual group. Um, so I got immersed right away and I ended up getting a lot of my own therapy in the process via students. And then also I started pursuing my own therapy which is when it all started to unfold and make sense that I realized how much I needed therapy. <laughs> and that's, yes, the, the awareness came afterwards and then realizing that I don't think I could have found myself in a more perfect profession. I, yeah, I'm, I can wholeheartedly answer the question. Like if you could be doing anything, what would you be doing? Like, this is, this is it. So. Mm, that is really beautiful. And I, so appreciate your honesty and transparency there. I have to say that a lot of the therapists that I speak to, myself included, we found ourselves being drawn to therapy because we had received it um, growing up, or you know, we came from our own dysfunctional families, and you know, we really knew that that was a part of it, consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. And the other piece that I want to highlight about what you shared is that people listening who are not in the therapy field might think that it is typical uh, to go through a program where you have a lot of. Um, labs, as you said, a lot of internship, and that is not actually the case. Um, most of the programs that are offered, and you know, I'm, I'm only speaking for what I know here in the United States, but most of the programs offered, we do have required internship hours. We do have counseling labs, um, yeah. but it is not to the degree that Kate had described for her program. And also, this is something that I personally feel is a huge shortcoming um, for a lot of what we require of therapists, because most of the therapists that you're going to be seeing, unless they have actively sought out doing their own work, they don't have had to have gone through an extensive amount of their own therapy or their own inner work to be able to be a therapist. Um, and I personally think that that's very dangerous. I think that it creates um, an environment where a lot of harm can be caused very unintentionally because if you haven't worked on your own shit, you are most likely going to be bringing that shit into your work with your clients. Um, yeah. Again, not consciously, but that's what we do as human beings. And it is such a breath of fresh air to hear about your experience and know that even though you didn't actively go out and choose a program that would test you in this way and challenge you in this way and bring you to that place of inner work in that way, that that program called out to you. And I am just, you know, as a therapist, really curious about what did you learn being in that program, what did you learn about being in this situation where you had to be so vulnerable and open and going through your own process while learning how to lead others? It was so interesting and unique. And of course, there were parts of me that fought it because, so I had never accessed therapy. That doesn't mean no one in my life told me I maybe would have benefited from therapy. <laughs> so, so like my mother had suggested I access counseling and go to therapy. And I'd always said, no, I don't want to talk to a stranger. What's the value of which is always something mm. when I think of now, so ironic given what I do. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, I fought it a little bit because I would go to class. I'd show up on campus. We'd go to our labs and I'd open up to my classmates and I'd, I'd cry and I'd leave having, you know, gone to effectively a therapy session, crying and processing. And I remember feeling resentful, being like, this isn't what school is supposed to be like. I'm coming here and I'm having to be very open and share my personal information and I'm leaving in tears. Now in hindsight and over time, I came to absolutely love it. Um, so going to school led to my, you know, my first spiritual awakening. I started to actually understand myself. I became conscious. I, I actually mm. was fully mm -hmm. living with such low self-awareness and low consciousness. And it just brought me into myself. It gave me frameworks to understand things. And then it allowed me to, once I started making sense of myself, I could start to look outwards. And so it was like, literally my eyes were opened. So it was very beautiful. And as I think all of our journeys, there's the parts where you feel like you're kind of being dragged into it, kicking and screaming a little bit. Um, and then at some part, you just are like very willingly <laughs> going along. Mm, yeah. yeah. And one of the things you and I had touched on in our little bit of a pre-interview that we had um, is that I am not afraid to admit that I made the assumption that you and I had similar training because we have similar titles in the field that we work in. And I was trained very much in the conscious mind. I you know, am trained in systemic therapy. A lot of people know that as marriage and family therapy. And the way that I was trained is like, yes, I look at people in context of their relationships. I was trained, you know, in all of these like Gestalt and Rogerian and learned about development and all of these things that definitely impact us as human beings and how we exist on the planet. But what I will say was very much left out of my program was anything to do with the subconscious. I think we touched on the subconscious when we talked about Freudian work. Um, and obviously Carl Jung and all of those different uh, practitioners, like, yes, we talked about it, but we didn't really get into modalities that utilize accessing the subconscious mind. And for the people who are not aware, and Kate's going to go into this a little bit more, I'm sure, but we operate on you know a daily basis using our conscious mind. We're making all of these thoughts. And then below the conscious mind is our subconscious mind. And this is where we've stored a lot of our lived experience, everything that kind of conditions us to know how we should and shouldn't interact with ourselves, others, the environment. And then actually a layer below that is the shadow. And that's where even below the subconscious mind, there are things that are impacting your subconscious mind, which is impacting your conscious mind. Um, but again, this is very, very, very deep because if we were constantly in a state of subconscious or shadow, we wouldn't be able to function. Like it's just not something that's going to be healthy for us. However, when we're only accessing the conscious mind, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of us have these drivers that are buried very, very deep in our subconscious and maybe even our shadow. And the only way to really access them is through subconscious work. And I know that now, but that's not at all what I was taught in my training, but you had a different experience. Can you share about that? Yeah. So I was very fortunate. Again, I didn't know what any of these things, I didn't know I was signing myself up for this program, but um, very grateful that I found myself being mentored and taught by uh, therapists who 
basically have the experience that I think many therapists do. They go into the field, they use the modalities, they were doing what is considered like the gold standard evidence base, what all of the programs offer, and finding that they weren't seeing the outcomes in their clients that they wanted to, that it was falling short, if you will. Um, and so then when they became professors, they were like, here's what we're going to do differently. And so they integrated a lot of depth psychotherapy, a lot of subconscious work, um, transpersonal, non-dual teachings, because they wanted to equip, you know, us, the next generation of therapists, to be able to actually do the work that we are desiring and wanting and that our clients be able to see the change. So we did that. And it's very uncomfortable because it, it does go beyond the service, which is why it can be so, I guess, painful, which I think is part of the shadow of the field of psychology, is we avoid that because it feels riskier. It can look a little bit more intense at times. And so I think we've played it safe, but the consequence is that there is that idea of like, you know, I go to therapy, I don't really make much progress. And that's because we're not penetrating down into the things that are actually the drivers, right? Um, so mm -hmm. we have to make that shift. And so we did that for ourselves. And so, of course, once you experience it yourself, it's really easy to understand why you would want to carry that out. And you also develop that container of what feels safe, like letting other people have big emotional movements, letting people mm -hmm. experience painful things, and that feels safe. And I think that was one of the really key pieces is learning how to feel both like you are in control and can support people through those things, but not also being fearful yourself of seeing other people process very intense emotions. Uh, because naturally, we're, we don't want to do harm as therapists, which is why I think we end up staying in that safer zone, which is safe, but then also means potentially less progress, less change is going to come from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. there's so much goodness in everything you just shared. So there's a few different highlights that I want to go back to. And the first highlight is the fact that we have normalized therapy as this thing where you go once a week and you kind of vent to a person for, you know, a therapeutic hour is 50 minutes for most people who don't know that most insurance companies are looking at a 50 minute hour as being a therapeutic hour. So if you think about that, you're going once a week, what are you really going to get done in 50 minutes? If I'm being completely honest, um, and people go and they just unload the therapist will be like, Hey, how are you? How was your week? You vent, you get all that off your chest. Yes. You're going to feel better in that moment because somebody listened to you. Somebody saw you, somebody held space for you, which is all wonderful and has its own therapeutic value. But if you're looking for true and lasting change, if you're really looking to shift the underlying root causes of why these certain anxieties or depressive moments or, um, imbalance in nervous system is coming up for you, you're not going to get there through a 50-minute vent session every single week. But to your point, Kate, it is safe, right? It We like to be liked as human beings. And it's so great to be that person that people come in, they vent to you once a week, and it's like, oh my God, I love my therapist. They listen to me and I leave and I feel better. And then guess what? They're going to have to come back the next week. And then they're going to have to come back the next week. When I hear people who have been in therapy for 
years, like seeing the same therapist, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and like, maybe that was fine back in Freudian times. But if we think about it now, I tell my clients all the time, I'm working myself out of a job. I'm here to help you heal. I'm here to help you get the tools so that you can do this work on your own. You shouldn't need to see me once a week for five years. Like that, that's not the situation I'm trying to set up. As much as I enjoy talking to you and would love, yeah. you know, for that to happen, that's ethically, that's not my job. And so I think that that's an important piece that I'd like us to elaborate a little bit more on. And the other piece that goes with that is what you said about as a therapist, having done your own work enough that you can truly sit with somebody having a huge emotional release, a huge emotional process, and being able to maintain that neutral space. Because most of us are not taught how to exist in emotion or exist in response to emotion, or if we are, it's very transactional or conditional, right? Other people's emotional states is our responsibility or someone's upset. You say, don't cry or I'm sorry, or I feel so bad. When as a therapist, you're just sitting there being like, yo, it's so okay. Like this is beautiful. Let it out. And they know that you've got them, that you're grounded, that you're not taking it personally. You don't feel uncomfortable, but also to that point, you're able to stay in your own mindset so that you can help guide them through in a very safe way. Because if you're activated, if you're triggered, you are not going to be any good to your client at that point in time because you're going to be battling your own inner demons. Um, so I think that those are two pieces that we have normalized that not being a part of therapy and it absolutely should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often, whatever point kind of makes the most sense, I often name to people like, your emotions and however they show up are welcomed. And when people come to therapy, there is a part of me that feels like saying that is redundant. Like, I hope that's an obvious given that, you know, if you can cry anywhere, it's therapy. But I think for so many people expressing emotion, whatever reason, however we got the message, it's that it's not okay or that we have to do it only in certain ways. And so I think it's really important to name that. Like, it's all welcome. The sounds, the like snot, the, you know, the the facial expression. And I truly mean it because it is what's needed. I mean, when we move these things through, they don't necessarily happen in the way we would ideally want them to, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're welcomed and it's important. I don't ever think, I guess that maybe I'm going on a different tangent, but I, I just, I know I've worked with some people who tears aren't as available or big emotional releases aren't as available. So I don't think you need to have those things in order to experience change, right? Um, I don't think we're limited, but it's very much welcomed. And if it happens, it's it's nece- it's usually a good sign, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. And going along with that, can you share a little bit more about um, non-dual and transpersonal therapies? Because I know for myself, even being in this field, those were things that I didn't become aware of until after I had completed my training and I was in the field and I started looking more into subconscious work, more into that intersection of like holistic psychology, spirituality, just even looking at human beings in this very comprehensive way. I didn't even know that that was something that has actually been around for quite a while. Yeah. Yes. And I would, that was how I was taught, like the kind of four different phases of psychology, right? Where it was like very behavioral. We were very focused on the mind. Then we, you know, moved into integrating the knowledge and wisdom of the body and like that holistic approach. 
And then non-dual and transpersonal, where they really go is also adding in like the spiritual elements, like coming into the soul and acknowledging like collective consciousness and all of those pieces. Um, I don't consider myself a non-dual therapist. I very much integrate the teachings. I resonate more with transpersonal. And I find that the best way I, I guess, differentiate is it's more of like a heart-centered work. And I very much resonate with that. Um, but yeah, you're basically going beyond just the individual self. You're bringing in the teachings and understanding of spirituality. And that's not based on any like specific dogma or religion. It's just that like not limiting ourselves to just like what we're experiencing in this human plane, right? We can bring it all in. It's all available. And I find that without that, I don't think I would be able to have seen my own changes and benefits and certainly not for my clients because we are experiencing and working with things that are in the emotional realm do not make sense to our rational, logical minds. And the things we're processing, experiencing, the way we move on from grief, we're usually leaning on tools and resources that, again, don't play into the rules of our logical, rational minds, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. And I would imagine that a lot of people who have been gravitated towards the Sacred Leadership Podcast might find that type of therapy to be something that resonates for mm -hmm. them. So if somebody is looking for a therapist who operates from that lens, from that perspective, uh, yeah. what words could they maybe search for? How yes. could they find someone? Because, you know, I know you are seeing clients, but uh, there's a lot of people out there that I think could really benefit from knowing that there are therapists that can work with them in this space. Yes. So some people may directly just name that they in integrate spirituality, which is, you know, a nice obvious one, but uh, meaning-centered therapy, existential psychotherapy, like if they have the word existential in there, uh, transpersonal, and what other terminology? I would say people who are including somatic, mm, usually mm -hmm. they're, at they're in the realm for sure. Um, and hypnotherapy, if they use the words unconscious, subconscious work, you know, getting at the core of things is also usually a good sign or good term to look for. Um, mm, thank you. Yeah. I think people who it's difficult because I know we don't all have the time to go and just meet with every potential therapist. But I also want to say like those words are good starting points, but it is like a felt sense of, you know, meeting with someone and can they go with you in it? I really do believe that it's it's that relational piece, the same way we might look for like friends and partners. You know, it's not about what they look like on paper. There's like a felt experience of knowing that this is the person that works best for me and that's right for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons that I still do free consultations because I think it is so important because not only do I want my clients to feel good working with me, I want to feel really good working with my clients. And I have a lot to offer, but the way that I work might not be the best fit for what that person needs to receive in the way that they need to receive it. And I think that that's why it's so important for people to know that just because somebody has a title or they're trained a certain way doesn't automatically mean that they're going to be the best fit for you and what it is that you're seeking. And it can be a lot like dating, right? Like finding a therapist that's a good fit for you can really be a lot like dating. And 
it is no small task to go and be like, hey, here's a little bit of my life story. Here's a little bit of my trauma. It is emotionally draining to have a lot of first dates, if you will. Um, But then when you find that person, that's the really good fit that is really going to feel so good for you to go and work with that you feel safe with, that you really feel is working with you in a way that resonates for your soul and the way that you really need to enact change and healing in your life. It's so worth it. Um, so I, I just, anyone out there thinking like, oh, I really want to go to therapy or like that would really be hard to have to like start fresh like five different times. I promise that if you really are truly invested, it's worth it to do that legwork up front to really find somebody who is a good fit for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I apologize. I can't believe I didn't mention it. Add EMDR if someone has. Oh, is right. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite modalities. EMDR as well. You're getting at the core of the unconscious stuff there. So. Yeah. And to speak a little bit into the modalities that you use, um, I actually, I just listened to Kate uh, put on Spotify a really beautiful hypnotherapy session. Um, I actually just listened to that the other night, Kate. It was really just so nourishing and I really enjoy the sound of your voice. Um, So what are some other modalities that you specifically use with your clients to help them access their subconscious mind? Yes. So primarily I'm working with the teachings and the like processes of hypnotherapy and EMDR. Um, I do focus a lot on like positive psychology. I do integrate CBT. I think it's such a good like initial framework to just understand how your mind works and how to relate to it. And then we use those other modalities to go deeper. So we're not having to battle our mind all of the time. Um, and I use a lot of mindfulness and somatic psychotherapy is very much integrated into work that I do as well. Mm, Can you share a little bit about somatic psychotherapy? Because I feel like somatics in general is something that has just started coming to the surface. A lot of people are aware of the word. It maybe has become a little bit of a buzzword, but it can mean kind of different things in different ways that people are interacting with it. Yes. So EMDR is technically a somatic psychotherapy, uh, as is hypnosis. And it's really about integrating and non-differentiating like the mind and the body. So if Mm -hmm. I were speaking with someone and asking them about their experience of something, I'm not just going to be getting them to describe something to me. We're going to be checking in with like the sensations in their body. You know, we're mapping sensations in the body. How do you know you're feeling something this way? And we're using that as like, wise, trusting, like information that informs us. So we're integrating the wisdom of the body is, I guess, like the most succinct way. And then also a lot of like that nervous system work is we're helping regulate the nervous system so that the work that we're doing, the increased self-awareness actually can be applied and integrated because we've got the space within the body. We're in that regulated safe space. So... Mm. We often start with the body because you can figure everything out, understand what your problem is, what actions you need to take. But if your nervous system is dysregulated, you're going to have a very difficult time actually making that change. Yes. And this is something that if you've been listening to every episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast so far, if you're noticing a theme, you are correct. And that theme is that in order for us to really have these changes and be able to also welcome them in, 
we have to be in a regulated nervous system state. It doesn't matter all of these wonderful awarenesses that cr- you create and you're like, wow, I realized that my subconscious mind and this is causing this and that's, and that is amazing. And having, you know, expanded consciousness and awareness and new perspectives is so great. But unless your body feels safe to change, safe to step into the unknown, safe to be able to release the patterns that it's been holding onto that have been keeping you alive, right? Up until this point, all that awareness, it's only going to go so far. And so when we're pairing the expanded consciousness with nervous system regulation so that we feel truly safe to step into a new pattern, a new pathway, a new way of thinking or being, we can actually receive it and our whole nervous system isn't resisting it the entire time because we're continuing to stay in that sympathetic state where everything is seen as a threat. And this is where I personally take issue with a lot of the like manifestation stuff that's out there right now because they're like, manifest this, manifest this. And I feel like it's a little bit of bullying in a way because not every person who's talking about manifestation is talking about the back end work of, well, what subconscious things are going on for you? What happened in your family of origin? What are you holding on to in your body? How can you regulate your nervous system so whatever you're manifesting actually feels safe for you to receive? There's a lot under the iceberg yeah. that unless we're addressing that, you can manifest until you know the cows come home and you're going to be like, why is this not happening for me? But again, it's bringing in the consciousness with the body so that everything is in communication with each other. And that's so important. I'm so glad you touched on that. Yeah. Like you've got to have this space for it. And I think that's like a term clients intuitively describe it as they're like oh I just felt this like there was a space to pause there was a space to think there was like the space to actually do something differently um and that's what happens when our nervous systems are regulated otherwise you do lose that space and you go into effectively autopilot mode and then you just go through whatever you've already been conditioned your mind is responding to all of the past associations that's why being triggered is such a powerful thing you know After the event, you can say, oh, I know this wasn't what was happening. I know this was different. But in that moment, those associations and those reflexes, if you will, are so powerful that we don't get that space to pause and choose. And I mean, for everyone who's experienced that pause, I mean, it feels life changing because you actually now get to make different choices. And I don't want to say correct those patterns, but, you know, you've got more things on the menu, (laughs) like you get to choose, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because most of the time we are reacting, which is amazing that we have the ability to react because that's honestly what has kept our species alive um, Mm -hmm. for as long as we've made it on this planet. Because if you weren't able to be like, oh, threat, need to run, we probably would not still be here as a species, right? If we're like, oh, there's a threat. Mm, What should I do about that? I could run. I could hide. You're going to be dead. (laughs) At that point, you're going to be dead. So it's amazing that we have that innate ability to just react. It's not a bad thing. However, you know, somebody coming and sharing like, hey, you know, I really felt like this work presentation that you did fell a little bit short. That's not a life or death situation, but our bodies are reading it like it's a life or death situation. And then we're reacting like, oh, well, screw you, Jerry. Like, I bet you couldn't have done any better. We're reacting. We're not actually responding. Responding is when we actually have time and space to pause, to choose, to be like, okay, Jerry, I uh, wholeheartedly disagree with that. However, 
I know that you are not here coming for, you know, my family to take my children. I know that you just simply would like to have a discussion about this work presentation. And so let me hear you out. Let me receive it. I'm not going to get defensive because whatever reactions you have are yours and say way more about you than they do about me. So I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to integrate it. And then I'm going to decide how I'm going to respond to you, Jerry. And I might still say, fuck off, Jerry. And that's fine if you choose to say that. But also maybe in that moment, it's like, wow, you know what? Actually, I did rush through this presentation. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Can you help me to be able to make some tweaks so that the next time I present this, I am able to present it in a level that feels more congruent with what the expectation is? Beautiful. Fine. Awesome. But you don't get there if you're reacting. You only get there if you're able to actually have the space, like you said, to choose how to respond. Absolutely. And hearing you describe that, like I actually get this like visuals of those different trajectories, right? Like, you know, when we react and we almost spiral because if you tell Jerry to fuck off, you know, without getting to choose that and discern that that's an okay response, you know, you've just created <laughs> another problem. It's not, you know, and like the information that may have been available, if you could have improved a skill, you could have integrated some really valuable feedback to benefit yourself in your workplace, strengthen your workplace relationships, like your your whole life literally starts to go down a different path, right? So it's not mm. just like the reaction and, you know, it feels kind of icky when you do react. Like, I don't think anyone really likes feeling good about not being in control and not having that space to choose. But we also, we're not able to even see the opportunities, the information that could be extremely valuable to us as well. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love having this conversation with you is because I have had the absolute privilege of watching a lot of your journey these past couple of years. And you are actually putting into practice the work that you're doing with your clients in your own life. Mm -hmm. And if you feel comfortable, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what that journey has looked like for you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I do. I am a huge, I, I often say like, I don't ever take off my therapist hat, if you will. And I know that there's a lot of people who say you should, but I don't feel like I need to because it feels so much a part of like who I am. I'm just innately curious. I love case conceptualizing. I love understanding <laughs> and I love experimenting. And so I do that with myself, right? Like here are the things that I'm being taught and that I think will work for my clients. Like I apply them to myself. So far, it's working out really, really well. <laughs> um, but like anything, it's a journey. So I think the part you're touching on is like the you know, moving into different roles and defining our own successes. And part of that for me when I was working in uh, the residential treatment centers was that there was so much I loved about the job, like truly loved it. It was, you know, I was making more money than I ever thought I would make as a therapist because it was a private center being well compensated. I was working four days a week. Uh, The clients were lovely. Like there was so much good within that role. But Mm -hmm. there was something that I don't know how to describe it. I think it's that like inner calling that we all have. It just didn't feel right. I wanted to, you know, work for myself. I wanted more freedom. I love to travel. And so I had that little nudge, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted. So then I found myself like many looking for inspiration. And I found myself amongst lots of therapists who were turning coaches and kind of moving that way, leaving all of the things that they didn't like about being a therapist behind. And 
now that I am where I am, what I'll say is I think that was a very necessary part. Like, I think sometimes we reference echo chambers as like this, you know, inherently negative or limiting thing. But I think I needed to go into that echo chamber so that I could leave where I was and feel supported to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then get into the practice of like, okay, I've made it through that like level one, if you will, with like my community of people. And now I needed to go, okay, what do I actually want for myself? Like we need to go our own individual ways here. And that's what ended up happening for me was it wasn't that I wanted to leave therapy. I just wanted to move into private practice because when I pursued coaching for a while, because I was in an echo chamber saying like that was the thing to do, therapists are underpaid, all these things. And I never even questioned if that was true for me. Um, as you've mentioned, like I'm in Canada and I'm, I'm not like underpaid the way that I think a lot of people in the U.S. are like there's a different system. Um, I don't direct bill to insurance companies. So there's big differences. And for whatever reason, I didn't actually ask myself if that was true for me. So that's a very big lesson now is to just like ask myself, what is it I'm wanting to move away from and what is it I'm wanting? Um, so I found myself in the place I ultimately wanted to be. Um, and maybe I could say that I took some unnecessary detours, but I think there were some really valuable lessons in them as well. Um, but yeah, like giving yourself permission to ask the questions is really important, right? Like tune out all the extra noise, you know, put on some headphones if you're in that echo chamber just to check in a couple of times, right? Yeah, I actually really yeah. love that visual. And I think as human beings, especially younger human beings, we are so conditioned to seek out the quick fix, right? We're yeah. like, okay, this isn't working, so what's going to work? And we're looking for that answer. And we are trained to go external when we're looking for answers, right? We're trained yeah. to like look and be like, okay, well, do you have the answer? Do you have the answer? Can you tell me what to do? Because our whole lives, like, we are taught how to human by other humans telling us how to human, right? There, it's you know just very new that like conscious parenting where they're asking their three year old, well, small three year old, what do you feel like you should do? That was not the case for most of us at three year olds. Is three year olds were throwing temper tantrums, are like knock it the hell off, like you know, like stop yeah. you know feeling your feelings. You're not entitled to that. And again, this is a lot of just things being passed down from people who didn't know any better and that's okay. But now that we have this access to the internet, to social media, to all of these resources and we're able to learn what it is to actually be a human and that we are not truly born not knowing, right? Like we're just born not really quite knowing how it works on this planet, in this time, in this body, but there is such innate wisdom in the soul. And being able to access that or teaching people how to access that, that is the ultimate freedom. That's the ultimate sovereignty. But again, we're not raised that way. And so when something feels uncomfortable or it doesn't feel aligned for us, I feel like unless we've learned how to go inside, our reaction, right, like we were talking about, is to look around and seek the answers outside of ourselves. And so if you have a big, bright, shiny person who has a ton of followers or whatever being like, I have the answer, I can solve all of your problems, it's very human to be like, cool, how much money do you need for that? Like, perfect. I will give you all of the money. You give the answer. I like fix whatever needs fixing. I go on my merry way. Problem solved. 
Um, and you know, might that work here and there if by chance what they're offering happens to be in alignment for you? Wow, that's really beautiful. But statistically speaking, the chance that what they're offering is actually in alignment for you might actually be a lot smaller than what we're willing to realize. And if we haven't done that check-in with ourselves to figure out what it is that we really want and are really seeking, it can be kind of like time-consuming and expensive uh, to (laughs) figure out what that actually looks like because it's then a game of trial and error. Um, which is totally fine. Like you said, some of those detours, we pick up such valuable lessons along the way. I don't feel like anything's ever a waste, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's a relationship that didn't work out or a job that you left or a coaching program that you paid a ton of money for that you're not really utilizing anything from, um, whatever that might be, there is something that you gained, a relationship that you made, an insight that you found within yourself as a result of that catalyst in your life. Um, and just being open to seeing things in that way so that when you do get to the other side, you are doing that introspection where you're looking um, into yourself. You're able to do it without shame or judgment or feeling yeah. like you need to have done something differently because hindsight's always twenty twenty. Absolutely. And I think what one of the lessons I learned was like I – well, one, I learned that I'm how suggestible I am, which is a tool that I use in hypnotherapy is that we are suggestible as humans. Like we can use that to our benefit when it's done consciously and intentionally. But it was what I realized was I was like, okay, trying on this new role, trying on this new way of working with clients. And it was kind of like the outcome I ended up at was the same outcome I felt I got when I was doing therapy. So it was kind of this like roundabout way of like, oh, I'm going this new path to this new place. And I ended up in this wonderful spot. But I was like, oh, wait, this is where I was when I was taking this much shorter, much more accessible path I had already carved out for myself. So it kind of that became that question of just like going back. And it almost felt like a coming home, which I think enhanced the the love that I have for the work that I do as a therapist. And so now mm, right. when other people continue to, because there are a lot of people who, I mean, I still am exposed to people talking about being a therapist just leads to burnout. I, I don't waver anymore because I know I got hooked in before of doubting that. And so now I can stand very firmly and also just kind of reject what's not true for me, right? Like, I think there are a lot of narratives about what it means to be a therapist. Um, and we all kind of collectively maybe can resonate or agree, but a lot of them, I just am like, nope. I I don't subscribe to that. I don't align. I don't even resonate with that. That's not been my experience. Um, and I don't know if I would be able to stand so like certainly in that had I not wavered so strongly early out. So. Mm, and I think that that is just another beautiful example of something being a response instead of a reaction, right? Yes. Because you have yeah. come back here out of your own free will, out of your own choice, out of your own trying other things. And they didn't feel as good as this feels. But so now, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what's in alignment for you. This is what feels really good for you. And I think also having that ability to reject narratives is such a powerful piece 
And it's something that we all have the capacity to do just because, you know, my family's always like everyone in my family's gotten diabetes by the age of 40. Okay. Well, does that have to be true for you? Or every therapist, you know, is poor and can't pay their student loans. Okay. Well, does that have to be true for you? Just because Mm -hmm. that's been the dominant narrative or that's been true for other people who have some similar attributes or characteristics or job titles to you doesn't necessarily mean that you have to then take that on because somebody else said so. Is that actually true for you and in alignment for you? And being able to have that discernment, right? One of the words that you shared with me in what you were interested in speaking about today was discernment. And I think that that is such a powerful tool uh, for human beings. So I'd love if you could elaborate on discernment and what that actually means when we're speaking about this topic. Yeah, I think it's like the ability to make a decision, right? But with that intuitive element, right? Like we can, we can be exposed to the best advice, but that ability to discern if like it's meant for you, if it's what's needed for you is like discernment. I think it's that like extra element of sure, this is great, but do I actually want it? Do I actually need it? And then trusting yourself enough to move with that discernment. And I would say discernment is like a practice or component of embodiment, right? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really love bringing this into this space because I know that a lot of people listening to this are probably the same people who are exposed to a lot of different coaches, guides, healers, therapists, right? They're people who are interested in personal development and growth and expanding their consciousness, which, hey, snaps to you if you're here and you're trying and you're on the journey and maybe you've had a couple spiritual awakenings at this point. Like it's hard and we're, we're here to help. We're here to support. But again, you can look outside yourself and there's a million people with a million different answers. And it doesn't mean that any one of them are better or worse or right or wrong. It's really not about that at all. There's so many different ways to achieve the same outcome. And what works for one person might not work for you and it might not be with that person, right? Like you can know that, yeah, I want to do somatic work, but uh, I don't know. I don't really like Kate's vibe. Maybe I want to do somatic work with somebody else because they resonate with me more. That's fine. But you're never really going to know what is in alignment for you until you learn how to ask that question of like, okay, yes, this is great. This is wonderful. I see so-and-so is making $100,000 a month doing whatever the heck way that they're doing it. But like, does that feel true for me? Does that feel necessary for me? Does that align with what I feel called to or comfortable with, right? And comfort is a very tricky thing because oftentimes what feels comfortable for us is just because it's familiar doesn't necessarily mean that's going to get you to that highest version of yourself. But at the same time, I do think that there is a space between what's comfortable and what feels forced. Yes. And that's actually where we can start to find alignment. Yes. And I don't know exactly how I would describe that sensation, but I think it's it's a felt sense, right? You know, I challenge myself often. I'm outside of my comfort zone, but there's still like a level of peace to it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the fact that it feels like there's a greater purpose to it. Um, but then there's like just that uncomfortability of like that part of us that's like, this isn't right, if you will, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's it's a felt sense. That's why I'm not sure I have the quite, I couldn't define that necessarily for someone else, right? 
Yeah. And I don't think it's something that really can be operationally defined um, if we're being completely honest. And I don't know about you, but what I tell my clients is when you're not sure what that feels like, practice. And you can practice by waking up in the morning and being like, do I want coffee or tea this morning? And really like kind of feeling into it. Uh, you know, do I want to have a salad for lunch or do I want to have a sandwich? Do I really want to take a walk today or would I rather do a kickboxing class? Really go in every single day with all of these little choices that we often make on default and have them be intentional mm-hmm. and yeah. see how that feels when you're choosing something that feels really good and really right for you. I know for me, I notice that I do that intuitively in the morning in, in terms of like the coffee and tea. And I notice that when I am on my menstrual cycle, I want tea, right? And I didn't even put that together where that was something my body was intuitively saying like, no, no, thank you to coffee. I'd rather have tea. And then here come to find out like, you know, having extra caffeine during that time is not the bestest thing. If you're doing it, that's fine. This is not a health podcast or anything like that. But my body was so smart. My body knew like that's actually what's going to be the most nourishing. And all I had to do was slow down and ask. That's it. And then drinking that tea felt so good. And that was the feeling that I'm like, oh, okay. Like Mm -hmm. this, this is the thing. And then as you get more familiar and acquainted with it, you can start to amplify it and then kind of put that same type of choice making or discernment on bigger things that you might be deciding between in your life. Yeah. Yeah, like working a muscle, right? Like you start with mm-hmm. the smaller weights, right? The lesser weight and you work your way up and like create that hierarchy and practice and flex it and you start to get really familiar and then you also start to strengthen that capacity. Yeah, and one of the things that um, I know when we first connected, you wanted to travel. That mm-hmm. was like something that was so, so, so important to you and I think that that was such a compass for you in terms of being able to decide what actually felt good for you. And like, yes, you were in this secure job where you're only working four days a week and you're making a lot of money. And yeah, all that stuff feels good. That's great. We're not saying that it doesn't. But also, if your life priorities were working four days a week and making X amount of dollars, you probably would have been fine, right? It's about knowing what your life priorities are, what's actually most important to you in this version of your lived experience and being able to find ways to align with that. And if you could just share a little bit about what that was like for you in terms of really sinking into what your priorities are, not feeling like ashamed of them or like, oh, I can't have that or I can't want that or what am I going to be able to do if that's my life? Um, and being able to work around those limiting beliefs, because I know that's a big piece of the work that you do with your clients. Yeah. So fortunately, I had traveled prior to that job, and I had actually worked overseas at like an international treatment center. So I caught like kind of a taste or an experience of it already. And then there was this part of me that felt like I was compromising something really significant like a part of me and it kind of wouldn't go away. Like it wouldn't like relent. It was like, no, we're not going to let you be happy. <laughs> and, and, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like when we, when we listen and we reflect and we integrate. Um, so there was that nudge. And then again, thankfully through my experiences and through trouble, I had other people around me. And this is where I was speaking to that there was value in the echo chamber of people being like, 
go do that thing, go for it. It will work out trust in that. I think I really need it because I didn't have that internally at the time because of my own uh, scarcity issues, wealth consciousness, you know, at least in my generation now, it's very prevalent and common for people to work remotely. But, you know, when I was younger, oh, this makes me feel so old, <laughs> you know, that wasn't really the norm. There weren't a lot of people around me telling me that you could do this sustainably and that it would work and that it would be respected, etc. Right. So it was important for me to surround myself with people who were like, yes, this is possible. And they really were that source of hope for me when I didn't have it. Um, and I, I had memories of you one day when I, I think it was the day after I left my job and I had a full panic attack because there was that mm -hmm. part of me mm -hmm. that was like, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. You're going to, it's all going downhill from here. You're not going to be able to support yourselves. Um, and I was really terrified. And so I needed some external anchors to help me ride that out until I learned for myself that yes, you have this, this is okay. And now it's easy for me to look back and almost laugh at how fearful I was knowing how everything transpired. But I, of course, didn't know that at the time. So, Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, one of the really beautiful things I, I think about having support, right? Because we so often, especially as healers, coaches, guides, you know, any of, you know, parents, even anyone actually listening to this, I think as human beings, the way that we have created our society, like we used to be very interdependent mm -hmm. on each other. We used to live in these close knit communities where we were helping to raise each other's children and to feed one another and to care for our elderly. We were meant to live in community and we're so isolated now. And so when we're doing these big, scary things that maybe aren't necessarily actually scary, but to us, they're mm -hmm. scary because again, it's that stepping into the unknown. The nervous system's going to kick in and be like, well, this is something different than the thing that we've been doing to keep ourselves alive for this whole time. So we're not quite sure you're not going to die if you change yes. careers and being able to sit with that and have other people be like, Hey, you're okay. We got you. Like, what do you need for support? What do you need for grounding? How can we support mm -hmm. you at this time? We're not meant to do these things alone. And again, this is not at all ever to say, you know, don't work with a therapist, don't work with a coach, don't work with a guide. It, it's not about that. I think the big takeaway message, I hope that anyone who listens to multiple episodes of this podcast is that those really amazing people are out there that have done their inner work that have, you know, done the nervous system regulation that are actively engaging in their own healing because it's never a complete mm -hmm. process, right? And there are safe people for you to partner with while you're making these changes to support you, help you grow, to give you new tools. And we all need them. We all mm -hmm. do, but it's about again discernment, alignment, looking for that person who's really going to be the best fit for you, not just whoever, you know, who's ever's marketing caught your eye or whoever has a lot of followers. It's, it's really not about that. It's about allowing your soul to guide you to your soul family, to your community. Um, and I know for you, that's been a big part of your process as well, because even being a private practice person, you still very much connect yourself with community. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. And moving around, of course, makes it difficult at times because you go and establish community and then you Put yourself through heartbreak but i mean i just have lots of communities in lots of places um but it's it's so essential like as i'm even share was reflecting on that and sharing that with you i was like wow i i 
not that I'm saying I couldn't have done it myself, but I say that not in a bad way. It was like, I really needed that community at that time because that's what happens when you confront a limiting belief. Like it's not going to just release what it believes because you're like, I think this is a good idea. <laughs> you know, like it's going to hold on for dear right, life. Your brain thinks it's a good idea, but your body's like, we're jumping off a cliff, bro. And I'm not about it. <laughs> exactly. So you need people who are there like, you know, you have a net, whatever it is to, to help keep it in perspective and to help remind you of like the net that is there if you do jump and, and fall or whatever it may be. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that you, you really go out of your way to put a lot of different supports out there for a lot of people. I really appreciate your level of accessibility um, because I know, you know, being in private practice, also being in Canada, not everyone is going to have access to being able to work with you, but you have cultivated a lot of resources for people. So I'd love if you could share a little bit about that now. Yeah. So you touched on one of the main ones, which is I, I released some guided hypnosis on Spotify that anybody can listen to. Um, and I think you'll provide that link for people so they can go. I, I, sure I pick will. different themes, you know, stress, anxiety. The one I just did was for future visualization. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> Thanks. And the other one is I have a therapy journal, which anyone can access. Um, it can be ordered primarily right now off Amazon. And it really is for people in therapy. I designed it kind of based on feedback I've heard from clients about how to organize and like optimize the things they're learning in therapy. Uh, We know the value of writing things down. Um, It helps take away some of that pressure people feel around like, you know, what am I going to say and what do I want to focus on in therapy? Am I following through with my goals, organizing your thoughts? So that's available um, for people. Oh, what a good resource. I think yeah. I wish I had had that when I was going through therapy <laughs> back in the day. That would be yeah. so helpful. Yeah. And then I also, I have a monthly group hypnosis. I haven't been running them in the last little while, but that's another thing. If people follow me on Instagram, anyone can attend those. It's not just for people in Canada. And that's like a live group where we gather. There's a theme and I guide through people through uh, hypnosis so you can experience it. Um, and of course, as we know, there's something about being in the presence of mm-hmm. a group, right? Yeah I, yeah, I love that so much. I actually am just working my way through um, The Power of Eight, the book, The Power of Eight yes. right now. Yes. Uh, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, my mentor talks I'll, about I'll, that a lot. Yeah, I was like, for th- yeah. for those of you who don't know, I will I will link that book in the show notes uh, for this show. Uh, it's I can't speak about it too much yet. I've just started it, but um, my friend Vivian, who also does hypnosis, was really um, telling me a lot about that book, The Power of Eight. So, and I just I'm really getting more into in person events, group events, community. I think we really were hyper isolated for such a long time, and now is a beautiful. It just seems like a new season where we really are needing that that connection, that human energy, um, that exchange that comes when we allow ourselves to be in community with other people in a actual in-person way. And like, yes, virtual is great if you can't access people um, in your community or if that's not something that feels good for you right now. But I really do feel so grateful for the people who are being able to do things, whether it's virtual or in-person, so that we can just connect with each other and have a little bit more of that collective consciousness, right? Because this healing stuff can feel very daunting, very overwhelming, very lonely. Um, And you're not alone, I promise. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes like there, 
are weekly themes that I notice in therapy. Like clients all of a sudden are using the same yes. terms. They're talking about oh the same Oh my gosh. I'm so, like, it's so amazing that you brought that up because yeah, coaching therapy, like I'm like, whoa, like everyone's going through this. And it's so like as an observer, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. This is wild. And of course, you know, with like HIPAA and, and different things like that, I can't just be like, my other clients are experiencing this exact thing too. But it is, there is something. And then I'm looking at the, um, like the astrological calendar and like what's going on in the Zodiac, what's going on just energetically. Yeah. And it's, it is all connected. This just turned into a conspiracy theories podcast real quick guys. But, um, but for real, it's, it, it that's amazing. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it's nothing I've actually ever said out loud to anyone, mm-hmm. but I, as a fellow practitioner, I'm freaking out right now yeah. that somebody else is experiencing that. Cause I'm like, is this just me? No. And that's why I love groups and I love group therapy because you get to name that, right? Like, as you're saying, I can't tell my client like, oh, everyone's going through this or all my other clients. <laughs> and I wish sometimes I could be like, man, if I could put you all in a room together, you know, like you have something to offer one another, which I can't do, but that is the value of group work and community mm-hmm. is that you, you're putting yourselves there to, to connect and, and benefit from those like synchronicities, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that so much. And that's where, you know, we launched this podcast right around um, the spring equinox. And that was not by accident. Like I'm an Aries and the first, you know, sign in the zodiac and just like this energy of springtime and new things and setting intentions and rebirth. Like I feel it. I feel like a lot of people have also been feeling that in the, in the collective. Um, so it's been really neat to be able to be more intentional. Right. And I think that that comes from the fact that when we're in touch with that, we don't write it off quite as easily. Where I know past me would have been like, oh yeah, I'm feeling really like inspired right now. I'm feeling really motivated right now. Huh, that's weird. But now I'm like, oh, nope, we got this energy. We got work with it. We don't know when it's going to be coming up again. Um, And I think that that's something really beautiful. And that's also when you're working with somebody who does the type of work that you do, you can bring that in and your therapist isn't going to be like, okay, that's cute. (laughs) Mm-hmm. whatever uh so you feel collected you know connected to the collective consciousness okay like they're not going to give you like some type of like psychosis diagnosis because you know you really feel in touch with your you no know, fellow humankind um and that is just such an important thing for people to know because i do know that a lot of people in the spiritual space actually don't seek out therapy because of that reason they feel like they can't actually bring their whole self to therapy in a way that a therapist is going to align and understand them. Um, But you just have to do a little bit more digging. Yes. Yeah. We exist. And I think that's where I've been lucky as well as I found mentors because I think naturally then a lot of therapists just end up leaving, if you will, right. To go outside of it. Um, But there was something within me that's like, no, I want to stay here in that role and like do that dance of sometimes like, I don't know if it's in between like worlds, but like integrating it. Um, there's a part of me that maybe likes to feel a little bit like rebellious, you know, I mean, I'm not doing anything that is outside of scope, but like I have mentors who, you know, they, they've always integrated this work and like, how do you walk that line of, you know, staying, you know, connected to your regulatory bodies, but also allowing for your clients to bring their whole selves in. Right. And I think it's, 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 I find it's actually quite easily done, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is so beautiful. Kate, thank you so much for taking time on a Saturday morning to have this conversation with me. I know that I learned a lot from you and I have a lot of really beautiful takeaways and I am just really looking forward to when this episode is going to hit the ears of all the people that really need to receive this information and hopefully it can help bring access to people who maybe weren't feeling so comfortable with uh, traditional therapy and to know that there's different practitioners, different modalities, there's different uh, ways of of getting to the same type of healing out there for them. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me that space to share that because as a big advocate of therapy, yeah, I want people to know it's available for them if it's what's right for them, right? Like not being, you know, discouraged because they didn't think it was a match when that might not actually be the case. So thank you for giving me that space to talk about it. And always such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Kate. There you have it another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast on the books. I hope your time spent here served you and nourished you. Join us every Tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights. Remember, exceptional leaders share the wealth. Send this episode to someone who would benefit, leave a review to let others know about the show, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you soon.